How many of you have a bucket list? You guys heard of that term? The idea of these are the things that I want to do before I'm done. Hopefully for some of you in the room, some of my friends that are a little older than me, you're crossing off some of those things, right? So this morning I was thinking about this idea of a bucket list. What is it that I want to be able to say that I've done by the time that I'm done in this world? And one of the first things that came to my head, the thing that's at the very top of my list has been for years, is actually going and being in Israel. And I, through a series of events, I get to go. It's an amazing trip. We're going to take Novations going, and God blessed me through some people, and I get to go, and I get to cross off the very top thing on my bucket list. And I say that with just this awe and wonder, seeing how God would do that. Well, what are some of the other things? I know a few of you, did you guys ever get a chance to go skydiving yet, or was it totally canceled? So skydiving may be at the top of your bucket list, like just that thrill-seeker side of it. Um, I once had a dream that I would go and see every baseball stadium. I wanted to take my kids and just go and watch a baseball game in every one of the baseball. For Scott, it may be that the Rockies could maybe win a World Series. That may be like the top of his bucket list. Maybe writing a book. Me and my wife have often talked about maybe it'd be smart for us to write a book of our experiences through life just from our perspective, because we've got a unique perspective around parenting and different things like that. Um, For some of you, it may be reading a book without pictures. Like, it it doesn't have to be really lofty goals. Sometimes it may be that. One of mine is walking my daughters down the aisle. I I want to be there to walk them down the aisle, because that'll be such an amazing day to celebrate them and what God has done. Um, For some people, it may be that they finally like Princess Bride. I have to throw that one in. Because unfortunately, there are people in the room that don't like that movie. I don't know why, but we will pray for them. Some of you, you may want to learn how to use your smartphone. Who's still trying to learn their smartphones? And the Novation app, right? Like, if you can get that. So if you don't know, maybe you're new, there is a Novation app. You can take notes. My notes are on there this morning, so you can download that. Um... I have a really strong desire to see some of my family members come to know Christ. There's some that are going to hell because they don't believe in Jesus. And I don't want that. So on my bucket list is I want to see those people come to know Jesus. And the last one's kind of a silly one. But one day someone will create a Dr. Pepper water fountain because... (laughs) It's the greatest gift that God has given me. Now, I've given up soda for the year, so I can't have it, but that's one of those things that someone needs to create for me. So why are we talking about this bucket list? What does this apply? We're in this series called I'm Convinced. Scott put it together. There's a lot of parts in Scripture where Paul says, I'm convinced of something. And today's what we're going to learn about is I'm convinced that he is able, that God is able. And where we're finding this passage is in 2 Timothy 1. So those of you that don't know, 2 Timothy was written by Paul. He was in prison a second time in Rome, and he writes this letter to Timothy. And most Bible scholars think it was the last letter that he ever wrote. So as you're reading through the New Testament, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, all of those, the last letter that Paul wrote was this 2 Timothy. It's a second letter to who he calls his son in the faith. So Paul, I think, knows he's going to die. As you read through this, there's, he's aware that there's, this is his last shot. 
So he's writing this letter with the intention of saying, my son, this is what you need to know because I'm not going to be here very long. Our time frame is between 62 and 64 AD, and Paul was killed somewhere between 64 and 67. So it may have been a year or two before he died after he wrote this, but he knew his time was up, and he was never out of prison again after, like, while he was writing this letter. So what if you knew? What if you knew that you had one year to live? Would that bucket list change? Would the things that you say, man, I want to get these done, if you knew you only had one year left, would it change? What if you had one day? What would move further up the list if you knew that you only had one day left? That's some of the urgency that I want us to feel as we're reading through this passage. It's Paul wanting to pass on, what's the last thing I need to tell you? before I move on, and in some ways you take over some of what we've been building together as he's looking at Timothy. So let's look at 2 Timothy 1, and we're going to read 7 through 14. It says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. By the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I am convinced, he says, that he is able. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the things in this scripture where God is able. So what are we not to have? We're going to start there. We're not to have fear. He starts off this passage and he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now, fear is a very normal thing. Fear is a human thing. And I truly believe that fear is a great gift that God has given us as humans. It is appropriate for me to be afraid of a rattlesnake because a rattlesnake can hurt me. Now, it's not appropriate for me to never leave my house because there's rattlesnakes out. So sometimes we can twist fear and we can manipulate it and it does become a hindrance. But fear in and of itself can be a gift to us Because what fear can do is it can turn us to the Lord. So when I become overwhelmed with things and life just seems impossible, I can turn to the Lord and say, God, be with me now here in this fear. And it can be a great gift to us. But it's those times when we become so afraid that we're unable to act. The word that's used here is a word that's similar to one of someone who's fleeing from battle. 
So that's the fear that's mentioned when Paul's talking about this. It's, I can't even go to battle because I'm afraid and I need to shrink back. And that's not what he wants for us. Because our first he is able is that he is able to give us what he wants and what we need. There's things that we need as human beings. And God wants to give us the power and the strength to do those. The first one is that. It's power. So you can write that in your notes. God wants us to have power. He doesn't want us to have a spirit of fear. But he wants us to walk in power. And I know for me as a Christian man, there's times where I don't know what it is in our culture, but I'm not supposed to live with the amount of power that God has put inside of me. It could be fear of what other people may think. Like the, the power that I'm talking about is this power that I might call it like a warrior strength. And I don't often feel like I can walk around as this true warrior fighting for God. I shrink back and hold back. But why? Why don't I lean into the Lord and trust that he wants to give me this power? Let's look at some scriptures around power. The first one's Isaiah 40, 29 through 31. Beautiful scripture. He gives strength to the weary. Who's weary this morning? This season of life, has, it's just worn me down. Realize that as I'm studying this this week, like, wow, this is speaking to me. Are you weary this morning, Christian? Are you weary this morning? Let's find out what, what can help. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths, there's a lot of you in the back of the room, grow tired and weary. The young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Is your hope in the Lord this morning? That's where God was bringing me. Am I hoping? Am I remembering the truth and the reality of what he has for us? Or am I hoping in my own abilities? If our hope is in the Lord, we won't stumble and fall. Or when we do stumble and fall, he'll be there with us to carry us through. We see it also in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he has said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. It's not often that we look at our weaknesses and say, yeah, I'm so glad I'm terrible at that. But that's what I was forced to do this week as I'm reading through this scripture. What are those areas where I'm just really bad at stuff? One of the first ones came that I thought of is my timidity. Um, I shared this with our home group it was a couple weeks ago, but um, there's times where I, once or twice a week, I drive for Uber and Lyft at nights. Um, there was a passenger in my car, and we were just talking about life. It was very philosophical. It wasn't really spiritual. And I really felt God say, give him a novation card. We've got cards that you can hand out, um, inviting people to church, basically. He'd, he'd been here for about a year, but he was still not feeling connected. And this fear and this timidity rose up. And I think I was more worried about getting the five stars that you get. And why didn't I hand him this card? My heart was broken, and I was so frustrated. 
when I got done because I was timid. I wasn't walking in the power that God would want me to. to be able, and it's not even power, handing someone a business card, right? But that's the reality of where I was in that moment. And what I want to remember is, all right, God, in that timidity, please be my strength. Because I am a timid man. The other one that I thought of was pride. And the way pride shows up most in my life is I refuse to let anyone help me. Um, I'm getting better at it. Earlier this week, I actually sent out a text to our home group and said, please pray for me as I'm preparing for this. Because my tendency is to do life on my own. And I don't do it on purpose, but just, I'm going to do this. Well, that's so prideful and arrogant to think that I can do something. You see, part of this is there's things that we do really well when we're connected to the Lord. There's a lot of people, and many of you, you can be honest, have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder how the dentists do it? (laughs) I've had so many people tell me that. Here's the reality. We don't. We don't. Our house is a mess most of the time. We're constantly cleaning. I have so many infants. It's just, it's crazy. (laughs) Like, they just haven't stopped. So, like, the house is a mess. There's still dinner to be made. They're still helping and planning in the church. I didn't wake up yesterday and go, cleaning team, here I come. There's part of me that was okay with it. But I wasn't excited. Laura was here, so that was good. But it's not like the first thing in my head where I'm like, I'm going to, like, map out my day. But why do I do it? Because God has called me to do it. And when I get here and I'm sweeping through the sanctuary, all the popcorn that the teenagers left because of movie night, and I get to pray for each one of these seats as I'm using the little, like, Swiffer thing, there's something inside of me that in service, I get to connect with the Lord and say, God, because of what you did, I can sweep up a sanctuary. I can clean a toilet. It pales in comparison to what Jesus has done for me. So there are moments. There's moments where I can step up and say, no, like, this is what I'm going to do. As the leader of this family, I'm going to show these kids that what Dennis's do is we serve. Why? Because Christ served us. I want to model that really well for them. So where are you passive this morning? Where have you given up hope that you can be powerful and strong? That you can make decisions and move? Don't do this on your own. That's not this call. This call is he is able to give you power. Next is love. The easy one. This one's fun. He is able. Instead of that spirit of fear, he is able to give you love. Our first verse, 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Who has sinned against you? Everyone close their eyes. Make this real personal. Father, reveal to our hearts right now someone that has sinned against us, that we have not chosen to love. We've pulled away from because of the pain, because of the hurt, whatever it is. Bring them to our minds and help us to be able to move into love if we can. Give us the grace, if possible, to take one step into love. And open your eyes. Love covers a multitude of sins. I know that many of us have been wronged. And it hurts. And this is the call. The call is because of what God did, we can move in love. 
what was the greatest commandment? I love right above the doors. I don't know if you guys noticed it or if you've just walked by it a ton of times, but we have it up there. And it's, what is the greatest commandment? Mark 12, 29. Some people came and they were trying to trick Jesus. Had the list of commandments and they said, which one of these is the greatest? And this is Christ's response. He said, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And then in Corinthians, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Who in your life needs you to bear their burdens? The things that they've done wrong against you. Who needs you to bear their burdens and to love them? Who in your life is unlovable? Many of you know that person. It could be a boss. It sometimes it could be a spouse. could be a parent or a coworker. Who is that unlovable person that God is saying you should love? Be Christ to them. Believe in them. Build them up. Encourage them. Hope in them. Obviously, our hope is in Christ. But who needs you to come alongside them and love them, to truly love them, and to forgive them, to move past those things, to build them up? We need to know who that person is. So, Father, reveal that person to us as well. That we can show up in love, where we can, we can bear all of the things that they need. We can believe and hope and endure because of you inside of us. If Christ doesn't condemn you, then why are you condemning yourself? Some of you in this room are condemning yourself and are unwilling to love yourself like Christ loves you. This verse talks about it. He says, you were to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And it's not all about putting ourselves first, but it is putting ourselves in proper perspective where we are sons and daughters of God. We don't have to hang our heads. It's okay to love ourselves. It's okay for the love of God to come in and heal ourselves. And the third is self-control. If we're not to be afraid, and we're supposed to have the power of God and the love of God, we can also have the self-control of God. There's a great quote by John Piper that I found. It says, the very concept of self-control implies a battle between a divided self. There's a war kind of going inside of us. It implies that our self produces desires that we should not satisfy, but instead control. We should deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. As Jesus says, and follow him, our self produces desires that should be denied or controlled. So there are going to be things that rise up inside of us that need to have some control. We need to be able to say, no, stop doing that. Don't do this anymore. And we find this a lot, and Paul likes to give sports analogies. I think he would have fit in really well in this church. But in Corinthians, 
He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? I'm so grateful that both of them did not win this morning. Only one of you got the prize, and it was the beautiful sweater. (laughs) Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do not get a crown that will not last, but we do it. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. There are things in our lives that we need to stop doing. And we can't do this on, the own, on our own. This is the, it's a beautiful picture of why God allows us to be part of the race, to be part of the fight. He calls us to step up and say, now you do something. So there is a piece of this where we need to be able to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. And we'd be foolish to think we can do it on our own strength. So we need God to come in. And it's a beautiful symbiotic relationship where we say, God, I need you to help me with this, but I can't do this anymore. My anger needs to stop. My gossip needs to stop. I don't know what it is for you, but there's things in your life where you need to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to have self-control. I was joking about it earlier, but some of you know the story. One of my biggest vices in life is soda. I don't drink much alcohol. I don't smoke. I don't do some of those things, but... There is this grip that comes with me. It sounds so foolish to even say it, but I need to be vulnerable and risk. I really enjoy soda. There's something calming about it to me. And it was to the point where, I remember this was years ago, I would go into the fridge in the garage, close the door so the kids wouldn't see me, crack open a soda, drink it, and get that like burn in my chest. And for some reason, like, it was enough for me. How stupid is that? But for those of you who have struggled with addiction, you may understand that feeling. Where all I need is that. So it may seem silly, but the reality is, is it has such a control at times over me. We'll go to a restaurant, I'll have three or four so, so much sugar, so much everything. And God said, you need to give it up. So Labor Day, I haven't had a soda since Labor Day. And planning to do it through the end of the year and then pray through, okay, what does this look like in moderation, things like that. But it was a line as simple as that was that I needed to draw in the sand. I need to have self-control in this area. The discipline that I need. I need to tell my body no to this. And that's what he's calling us to do. So no fear. Instead, we replace it with God's power, love, and his self-control. So as we continue through this passage here in 2 Timothy, Paul calls Timothy, who was known to be timid as well, he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That's the next part in here. I want you guys to remember this because he's going to come back around full circle. But he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Paul was in jail again, and there's part of Timothy that may have wanted to distance himself from that. Self-preservation, because if they found out that he was linked with Paul, he may be get thrown in prison as well. He was in a different part of the world at this point, but still there was this possible danger And there's also some of that shame of, really, one of your really good friends is in prison? How many of us sometimes will want to distance ourselves from someone who maybe isn't clean-cut? 
And maybe he doesn't fit into the norms of what we want. Maybe that unlovable person. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of what God has done. Never forget this. And we'll come back to that. The next he is able is that he is able to save us. We see it in verse 9. He says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Some of you this morning are trying to save yourselves. No, I do it almost every single week. It's unintentional, but I try to save myself. Some of you are here today because you did some really bad things this week. And you hope that by being here today, you're able to kind of take that whiteboard. Like picture like the things that you did wrong, you write those on a whiteboard. And you're hoping that by coming today, that action of coming is kind of an eraser where you get to erase those things out. Like, if we're really being honest, is that part of why you're here today? There's grace for that, but that's not going to be able to erase those things, right? Not only that, because we're just going to do them again. But we need Christ to have come in and to erase those things. And that's what Christ offered us when he died for us. He said, I'll erase that, and you can have mine. You can have this side of the board that's never had a blemish. You get this instead of this because he's the one who can save us, not us. Romans 9.11, this will take away that notion that anything that you possibly do to save yourself is it's a complete waste of time. If you think cleaning yourself up and coming to church and doing the right thing and being a good person is going to get you into heaven, this verse right here I hope convicts you to the core. It says this, though they were not yet born and had not done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. You see, he called us before we were born. You don't get a chance to do right and wrong before you were born. At least I didn't. And we see it again in Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is grace. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. So let's stop trying to get to God through the way that we're doing things. And instead, let's surrender and say, Jesus, I can't even get close to you. I know that. I'm never going to be able to get close to you. But I trust that if I surrender to what you did for me, that I'll be eternally with you. Seven years ago, I went to a men's conference. This is where God opened my eyes. We were doing a process um, where basically I just had to sit still and I had to reflect on what Christ had actually done for me. So in that silence, in that moment where I was just sitting there not able to do anything, I'm a doer, I love just, I'm going to serve, I'm going to do this, and a lot of times it's good, and a lot of times it's because I'm getting something. But as I sat there, Jesus broke my heart, and he said, son, you really think that you can make your way to me. Now, I didn't believe that doctrinally. I'd be able to tell you all the things right about Scripture that would say, no, like, there's nothing that I can do to earn my way to God. But practically, that's the way I was living, and he broke my heart that day. And I'm so grateful that he did, because for the first time I realized, wow, I really am trying to earn your favor. I really am trying to do this through my works. 
and I don't want that. The last one, what else is he able to do? As we read through this scripture, it says, he is able to protect my deposit. And we find this verse 12. It says, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day that which has been entrusted to me. Because he wants us to finish well. If we trust that God was willing to come and save us, and that he wants us to have his power and love and self-control, we need to realize that he wants us to finish well. We find it in Peter. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We need to entrust ourselves to God, that he will protect this good thing that he started in us. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, later on in Timothy 1. So how do we finish this? You can see in verse 13 and 14, there's three things that aren't in your notes. But these are the three calls that Paul, or that, yeah, that Paul brings to Timothy. He says, my son, like I'm leaving. I won't be here anymore. These are how you're going to end well. And it's this. It says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. This is doctrine. Follow good doctrine. All the teaching that Paul had given to him. We need to be in scripture. We need to be reminded of this rather than what the world wants us to believe. This is what needs to be the thing that's guiding us. Good doctrine. The next piece, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Is your faith in Christ today? Is your love flowing from Christ today? Because if we have good doctrine, we have faith and love in Christ, and the last part's the kicker. Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, guard the good deposit that's entrusted in you. We have the Spirit of God inside of us. We can walk powerfully. We can walk with love. When people would say, how can you possibly love that person? It's because of him. I can do it today. How could you stop doing those things that had bound you so much? I can have self-control because of him. It's not because of me. So let's remember that I am convinced that he is able to replace that fear with power, love, and self-control. That if our hope is in him, he is able. And that I am convinced that he is able to save us. Some of you need to be saved this morning. Some of you have never taken that, that step of trust and surrender to Jesus. That what he did was enough. That you can stop trying to earn your way. There's a great illustration by a man named Watchman Nee. He's telling a story. He's telling a story of them down by the river. It was him and they, the story that I read said 20 other people. They were all down there, they were bathing in the river, and one of the men got a little bit too far out. He starts flailing, he can't swim. So Watchman Nee looks over, and there's, there is a man who can swim. And he looks at him and says, go get him, like save him. And the man out in the water is just flailing, and he's just that sense of drowning. And he's coming over, and the man just sits there, and sits there, and doesn't go, and everyone's getting frustrated. You have the ability to save him, why are you not doing it? just waits 
And eventually the man stops and he gives up and he starts to sink. And within a matter of seconds, the man swims over and he goes and grabs him and he pulls him up and he brings him to shore. And everyone's confused. Why didn't you go do that sooner? Why did you let him be in agony? And the man says, if I would have gone out and tried to rescue him while he was flailing about, he would have grabbed onto me, attached onto me, and we would have both sunk. But I know once a man truly surrenders and gives up his own desire and his own abilities, then that man can be saved. So he had to wait. And I think that God has had to wait with some of you. Because God had to wait for me. He had to wait for me to stop trying and fully surrender to him. And maybe that's you today. Maybe today is the day where you finally surrender and say, God, I give up. All of my actions, coming to church, good deeds, good person, it's exhausting. And I'm tired and I'm sinking. And for those of you that are saved, this message still rings true. You need to stop trying. It's exhausting. And you need to rest in what God has already done for you. He already did it 2,000 years ago. Right there on that cross. He can save us. I am convinced. And I am convinced that he will protect that deposit. He will walk with us through life. He doesn't want heaven to be empty. He wants us to be there with him. We need to remember that he is able. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this word. Convict our hearts. Convict our hearts to love you more so that we can love others. That we can walk in your power and your love and self-control. That we can say no to the things in our lives that we need to say no to. That we can say yes to the things in our life that we need to say yes to. Yes, Lord, I will step out and love that coworker. Yes, Lord, I will love that spouse. Draw our hearts to you as we move through this season. The Christmas season should be such a reminder of what you've done for us, where you risked everything. And to you, it may not have been a risk because you knew what you were doing, but you still chose to come gave up that place on your throne and became a baby. You gave up all of your power and all of your authority. You humbled yourself to come and to save us. Let that be what we remember the most as we hear Christmas music and put up Christmas trees and the busyness of this life, that we will stop and remember that you are able those times when I want to throw my hands up in the air and give up. Remind me that you are able. Those times when the holidays are hard and I remember loved ones that are gone, that I don't get to be with anymore. Remind me that you are able. We worship you this morning. Be with us, Lord. 
Help us to be light during this season. Help us to reach out to others, to invite others to come be a part of what they need, which is you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some of you may need prayer. If you'd like to come forward, come up. We'll have some prayer people up here that can pray for you. Let's be the light of Christ and remember that he's able this week. Have a great week.